Today, if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, you take your Bible, your copy of God's Word, and be finding the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. As we begin to open the solid, eternal, immutable Word of God, the inerrant Word of God, we're reminded that all the way from the very beginning of the book all the way to the very end of the book, that God does something that is profound to me. He pursues us. He pursues us in such a way that he desires to have a relationship with us. The Bible reminds us that God went beyond the call of duty all the way to sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And as we begin to realize that, that God pursues us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we realize that God not only did something for us in that way, but God sent his son to live on this earth. And as he lived on this earth, he pursued people like you and I. When Jesus was alive on this earth, he touched lives and he intervened in people's lives and he made lives better and new and brand new and he raised the dead and healed the sick and made things happen. But the transformation that took place was profound to me that the word of God reminds us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. When we begin to read our Bible, we begin to open it up and we pursue it. We come all the way to the book, the last book of the Bible called the book of Revelation. It means to uncover or to reveal things that we need to see. All the way through the Bible, there's only one book of the Bible that says these words to us. Blessed is he that reads and understands the words of this book. In the book of Revelation, we find John on the Isle of Patmos. He's, he's led there of the Lord. And as he's there and he begins to take that, that moment with God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to pen the scroll. We can see him on the Isle of Patmos as the Spirit of God engulfs him. And he begins to write these wonderful words that we find find in the book of Revelation and we find as we open the book of Revelation we find an introduction that that is penned by the great apostle John that gives us keen insight into things that are going to come. We open chapter 1 and we begin to pursue all the way through chapter 4 and we are introduced to some very profound things about the church. I'll be preaching a series called Seven Churches That Everybody Ought to Visit in Their Life. I'm going to be talking about that and teaching on that in the weeks to come soon. We find that in chapter 1, we are, we're introduced to this wonderful Savior named Jesus Christ. And then as we begin to study and read on along, we find in chapter 4, there's something that miraculously happens. When we open chapter 4 and begin to go into chapter 5, it's almost as if there's, a, there's an incredible moment in that book of Revelation. It's, a, it's that moment that we find that the church goes away. The Bible tells us that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we which are alive remain shall be called together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Chapter 4 kind of finds that spot where we believe. We believe as we study the Bible that there's coming a time. We don't know when it's going to happen. It could be today. It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be next month. It could be a year from now. But I'm convinced that Christ... Christ is coming back again. Can I get an amen? I believe that Jesus is going to split the skies like a scroll and the Son of God is going to step out on a cloud and all of a sudden, miraculously, unannounced, there's going to be that, that wonderful moment when the church is going to be raptured up into heaven. 
We find chapter 4 beginning to introduce us to that. And then the church is never mentioned again until we get into chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. And what we find that in that book, we find God introducing us to something that is incredible, miraculous. It's almost terrifying as you begin to read the Bible. The Bible tells us that once the church is gone, there's going to be a time called the tribulation period. The tribulation period is going to begin on the earth the moment the church is raptured into heaven. The first three and a half years of that seven year period is called the tribulation period and then the last part of that seven years the last three and a half years is going to be what's known as the great tribulation and the judgment of God is going to fall upon this land and, and all of a sudden we're going to find that, that the wrath of God is going to be revealed from heaven against unrighteousness of man and all of a sudden the terrorizing moment of the reality that, that something miraculous has happened, something profound has taken place and the the very fruit of our lives are going to be manifested and we'll be eating the fruit of our unrighteousness during that time. And people will call out to God and, and God will avoid them. It's going to be a terrible time. And then we find that there will begin a millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years. And we understand that God is telling us that, that there's coming a moment, there's coming a time. And we don't know when that's going to happen, but, but there's coming a moment and a time where uh, God is going to judge the world. He's going to judge the sin of the world. And we find that before that great apostle there on the Isle of Patmos puts the pen down and rolls up the scroll that the grace of God is manifested again to all of us. And before we find the, the final amen of the book of Revelation where, where we realize that all of a sudden God through the power of the Holy Spirit is saying the book has been closed. It's finalized. The big, gigantic, phenomenal, supernatural amen has been written and the book has been closed. The seal of man's doom is sealed in eternity forever and ever and ever. And before the amen is written, the miraculous grace of God is manifested again. And God, through his power and through his love, gives what we call the last invitation. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, I believe that we're close to that. I believe that we're close to the last invitation that shall ever be given on this earth. When I begin to study the Bible, as we look at the sermon title today, The Last Invitation, we realize that in that moment and in that time, we, we begin to realize, Bethany, as you put that on the screen, The Last Invitation, that we recognize that, that we just together, ladies and gentlemen, we just a few weeks ago just realized that one of, we call the nation's pastor, went on to be with the Lord, Dr. Billy Graham. And we all know and understand that Dr. Graham was used in a profound way, but it's amazing to me that, that God in his infinite wisdom was, being, was able to raise up someone uh, through the quarters of time that would walk to the sacred platform and tell the masses of people that God loves them and they ought to come to Christ. And Dr. Graham was used of the Lord to give out the call of God, the, the call of salvation. 
And, and we realized that as we studied that life, that, that there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people that would respond to that call, and they would come to Jesus. And Dr. Graham was used to the Lord to give an invitation to call people to come. But yet, as we look there together today, I'm sad to say that as I look across this great land of America today, that it's almost as if we've lost the urgency of that call from our churches we come together today and it's almost profound to me that, that when we look at our churches, rather than our churches increasing, they're decreasing. It's almost as if people are running to teachers. They're having itching ears and they, they want people to say what they want them to say. But, but they're operating in something that is absent from the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and all of a sudden we're finding that that our churches are cold and calloused and dying. And rather than the throngs of masses of humanity that's running to Jesus, it's almost as if we made our God a casual God that is there to, to come to us and utter to us at our beck and call rather than us coming to him and humbling ourselves and worshiping him. But our, our churches have become social clubs and gathers, gathering together not to manifest the power of God. And yet in America today, it's almost as if our pulpits have Stop pleading to people to come to Jesus. We've even cut out our altar calls and people don't come to the altar no more. And you look in most churches, there's a vacancy and the people that call themselves Christians have lost the passion to know God. And it's almost as if we're finding that, that God, it's, it's as I look in my spirit, man, it's almost as if I can see John on the Isle of Patmos saying the book is about to close. And the hope of mankind is about to be sealed. When we look at the Bible and the book of Revelation, we find a profound truth. If you'll open the word of God with me. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse number 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that hears come. And let him that's a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him come. And take of the water of life, say it with me, everybody, freely. Thank God for that wonderful message. It's called the last invitation. When we look at our Bible, we begin to examine the words that are penned by, by the writers of the Scripture. We begin to realize that before God seals our doom, He says, I'm going to give you one last chance to come. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you've been, but before I write the final amen, I want you to come to me. I want you to know that I want to give you an invitation to respond to me. Today, as we turn our attention to that, God has birthed in my heart a sincere, deep desire to preach this message. I wish that the world would be able to listen to the message that God has birthed within my heart, the necessity of it, the urgency of it. And I plead with you today to listen carefully because there are some of you that are here today that God may be saying to you, today is your last invitation. Today I've been beckoning with you and pleading with you and drawing you and speaking to you and you've ignored me and you've turned me away and the world has seemed to, to capture you. But today, if you don't hear today, the amen will be written on your eternity. What a sad conclusion that would be. So today as we look at point number one, it's profound to think about. It's called the gospel invitation. The word gospel means good news. Whenever you realize that, that God compels you to come and God wants to reach you where you are and God finds us where we are in our sin, ladies and gentlemen, that's good news that God would save us. 
The Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 17, we find the word of God that's written in the spirit and the bride say come and let him that heareth come and let him that's thirsty come and whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. When I look at that and I begin to examine the word of God about that one verse, I am I'm profoundly moved by the spirit of God that God would give an invitation. This invitation that would go out to all of us. We realize that, that here in the book of Revelation there's three things about that invitation and the first thing is this the invitation is from God it's not just a, an invitation from somebody it's from God himself it is God the sovereign God of this universe that is giving out the plea to men and women and boys and girls that they are to come the Bible says in verse number 17 just look there as you open up your Bible the Bible tells us that the spirit says come we realize and understand that the Spirit of God represents who God is. For we understand that there is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We know without a shadow of a doubt that our God is sitting on His throne in the third heaven. We know that God is there. He is Alpha. He is the Omega, the beginning and the end. The Bible tells us that God is there. We understand that. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to this earth and He lived His life sinless. He became the sacrificial Lamb of God, which the Bible says he takes away the sin of the world. John was able to say these words, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We realize that Jesus, while he was here, he, he lived his life as a spotless, sinless sacrifice. And then one day, in, in eternity past, Jesus was sentenced to that moment where the Bible says that before the foundation of the world, Christ was slain. We realize that in eternity past, God had established a point in eternity past where Jesus would go to the cross and there on the garden of Gethsemane Jesus prayed until his sweat became as great drops of blood surrendering to the total will of God not my will but thine be done and he set his face toward Jerusalem that place called Golgotha the place of the skull and there at that place Jesus Christ God in the flesh surrendered himself to be the living sacrifice for every man woman boy and girl no matter who they are and he he uttered up these words into thy hand I commit my spirit and then he said it is finished Jesus at that moment the body of Christ was given up the ghost and they took his body and put that body in a borrowed tomb and thank God ladies and gentlemen three days later up from the grave he arose mighty and we thank God for that that now he has ascended into heaven sitting at the right hand of the father ever living to make intercession for us aren't you thankful you've got a savior like that He's more than victorious. He's all-powerful. And then before he left, he said these words, I will not leave you comfortless, but I'm going to send my comforter. And my comforter is going to be there, and he will teach you all things, whatever I've commanded. He will make my words known to you. He will reveal to you things that your natural mind cannot comprehend. And as Jesus ascended into heaven, Acts chapter 1, the Bible says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses both unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Revelation says the spirit and the bride says come. The bride is the church, the living church of Jesus Christ. Therefore, church, it is our responsibility to share with the world that the message of Jesus is that Jesus saves people. It's not our assignment to sit around and socialize. 
It's not our assignment to just come together and group together and sing a few songs, eat a, eat a few donuts and drink a little coffee. That's not what this is all about. Ladies and gentlemen, our world is dying and going to hell while the church is going to sleep. But yet the spirit and the bride say, come. My prayer today is for the church of America that there would be a revival that would be birthed in this church. That God would do something substantial. That God would do something in our church today where that people will understand that where the church is, there is the power of God. The Bible tells us that the invitation is from God. But not only that, the invitation meets the need of man. The Bible tells us that whoever is thirsty may come. Whoever is thirsty may come. Now we're not talking about are you thirsty in the physical but what he's talking about if you're thirsty in the spirit and what Jesus wants us to understand is the water that is of the physical nature will never satisfy the thirst that you have inside you. People are looking everywhere for something to satisfy the thirst of their soul. Ladies and gentlemen, we may take a drink of this water and satisfy the spiritual thirst, the physical thirst that we have, but we shall never drink of this water and be satisfied in our spirit. For we must have a drink of the water that we will never thirst again. And that water is Jesus himself. And there's people today, there's people in this building that your soul is thirsty. There's people in this building that you're thirsty on the inside. Your spirit man has dried up. There's something that's calling out to you. I need more of God. I, I, I believe in my spirit today that there are people sitting in these pews in this building that you've lost the free living water flowing inside your spirit. Your, your spirit man has dried up and there's nothing left there but just a dry, dusty nothing. But God says, if you are thirsty, you can come to him. And we know that we all have a deep desire to have our thirst quench. While at the same time, the world offers us a polluted water, a water that will never quench our thirst. There are people in the world today that are trying to get the thirst that they have inside their hearts and inside their souls, satisfied with the polluted waters of this world. And I'm telling you, the polluted waters of this world will never satisfy the thirst of your soul. We realize that God himself gives us living water. But not only that, the imitation expresses the provision of Christ. The Bible says he will give it to you freely. Aren't you thankful today that he doesn't charge us for salvation? He doesn't put a price tag on that relationship. The imitation that is given, the Bible tells us that it expresses the provision of Christ that whosoever thirsts can come and drink of this water freely. Can I get an amen? amen? God does that for us. He freely gives Christ to us. He has done something for us that money cannot buy. He has fulfilled the payment for the ransom of our soul at the cross of Calvary. It's finished. It is paid for. Thank God our sins are paid for by the blood of Jesus. Our debt has been paid. The Bible says to all of us, would you come? Would you come? Would you come and accept this invitation? But yet, so many people don't come. 
So many people neglect that invitation. In the month of August, I'm going to be getting on an airplane and I'm going to be headed to the land of Haiti. When I get to the land of Haiti prior to me coming, there will be an announcement in southern Haiti that will say, a man of God is going to come and he's going to preach the good news of the gospel to us. When I get to that southern part of Haiti, there's going to be many, many people that's going to come and they're going to assemble themselves in an old shanty building, not padded pews, not the luxury of an air conditioner. It will be massively hot. They will be sweating and miserable, but they will gather together by the hundreds to come and hear the good news of the gospel. But yet in America, we can preach the same message and people will go to sleep in the pews. Ladies and gentlemen, America is getting the last invitation. I am afraid, I'm afraid that in our great land, that because of the hardness of our heart and the deafening of our ears, that God may be saying to America, this is your last invitation. The book will be closed on you. You may be here today, God has been dealing with your heart for many years. God may be saying to you, sir, this is your last invitation. God may be saying to you, ma'am, this is your last invitation. This is your last time for me to invite you into a personal relationship with me. I'm about to write your final amen. When I begin to think about that, I begin to let my mind go back to a story in the New Testament in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, we begin to realize that in chapter 14, if you'll open your Bible there, in the book of Luke chapter 14, we find a a picture, a story that is given by someone named Jesus that, that tells us about a great supper was made and people were invited to come to the great supper. We find that in this particular passage of Scripture that Jesus was at the feast of a chief Pharisee. Jesus mentioned the resurrection. And when Jesus mentioned the resurrection, all of a sudden one of the Pharisees broke out in joyful praise. Blessed is he who eats bread in the kingdom of God. What the Pharisee meant was the Jewish picture of the great messianic feast. The feast given by God for his people when he sets up his kingdom on the earth. The Pharisee saw himself and only the nation, the Jews of that day, to be able to be invited to the great feast. But Jesus at that moment realized that they were thinking that no outsiders were going to be invited. And Jesus quickly came to the rescue of those that were the outsiders, the Gentiles, and he gave a story. So look at point number two in your outline today, and it's this. The invitation is made personal. The invitation is made personal. When I think about that, I want you to read in that chapter 14, verse 15 with me. Are you with me? Say amen. And when one of them said it meet with him, heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he said, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. Now what I want you to do today is I want you to underline that word bade. That's an interesting word when you break it down. The word bade, we'll come back to that in a moment. 
The Bible says he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. When the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there's still room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the hedges and the highways, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. When we think about that for just a moment, we begin to realize that this is an invitation that is made personal. We realize that when you open your Bible, you begin to realize that, that God is a personal God. What does God do? It never ceases to amaze me that over the 30 years of having the great privilege of preaching at this wonderful church, that every time I come to this place, this sacred desk, I've never, I've never ceased to be amazed at how God begins to work. Over the great 30 years of this great ministry, of this great church, I've saw God do wonderful, spiritual, supernatural things. Every week before I come to this place, I ask God, God, I'm nothing but your everything. God, would you take the little that I have to offer, and God, would you make it much? Lord, I'm nothing more than a servant in your hands. And God, I rely upon you to do your work. Father God, today, would you use me to be a vessel, a voice for you, Lord, in this hour that we gathered. And over the 30 years, I've seen God do miraculous things in this place. Hundreds of people have gathered to be able to come to church. And while hundreds are gathered together, it never ceases to amaze me how God picks out certain people. How that there can be many, many people here on a Sunday and the Spirit of God knows how to move in this church. And he'll stop by somebody and say to them, today, God wants a relationship with you. God wants a relationship with you. God wants a relationship with you. It never ceases to amaze me how the Lord does that. That in a crowd of people, God makes his invitation personal. It's a personal walk with God. It's amazing how God begins to stir in the heart of an individual. You may be sitting here today and God is already saying to you, today I brought you here because I want a personal relationship with you. See, the invitation is given in a personal way. That personal call of God that knows how to touch your life how to speak to you exactly where you are, how to find you in the mess that you may be in, how to be able to speak to you in a crowd like this when there are many, many people here. God knows how to find you individually. And he invites you to come personally. When I look at that, I begin to realize that this invitation is personal. It's personal because it's given out of a great hope. But not only is it personal, it is extravagant. It's an extravagant invitation. 
It's extravagant because verse 16 says these words. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a what? Great supper and invited many. The Bible tells us that in verse 16 that he invited, he bade many. Now I want you to notice there are a couple of things that you ought to write down. It's extravagant because it's a, it expresses a great love of this man. He, he made a great supper. He, he, he went to a lot of preparation and a lot of time to make something great. By the way, just a side note from Brother Jackie. I am so glad today that God still calls it supper. Can I get an amen? People say to me, Brother Jackie, would you like to go to dinner with us? I'm thinking dinner is over. It's supper time. Ladies and gentlemen, we realize that God makes a great supper. Now I want you to realize what the word bade means. The word bade means you're invited by name. You're invited by name. That God invites you by name to come to the supper. Isn't that amazing how God does that? He makes a great supper and then he invites you by name to come. I thought about that this week and I thought, man, isn't it awesome how God works? That God makes the great supper of salvation and he sends out an invitation by his spirit and says, Santana, won't you come? Brooks, won't you come? Misty, won't you come? Sue, won't you come? Bob, won't you come? You've got an invitation from God with your name on it. And he's made such a wonderful, extravagant invitation. The, the invitation is made and laced in the blood of his son. It's got your name on it. I've made a great supper, and I want you to come. Would you come? Would you come and have a relationship with me? The Bible tells us about that. But not only that, when he invited people to come, they began to make excuses, and then it goes to the next point. The Bible says it was extended. It was an invitation that, that was extended beyond just a few people. It reaches out to a lot of others. The Bible tells us in Luke 14, 16, he said a certain man made a great supper, bade many, and sent his servant at supper time. To say to them that were bidden, somebody tell me, come. For all things are now ready. Now when we was growing up as kids, our mama makes supper. Mama, mama makes supper and uh, she'd have it all made and on the table and she'd say, boys, boys, y'all need to come on in now. Supper's ready. And what that meant was, come now. Then she'd say, boys, if you don't get in here, it's going to be cold. You know, I think about that oftentimes. My dear old mama make those, that supper, and she'd say, boys, come. It's on the table. Now, I'm going to tell you something, my friend. If you didn't come when she called, 
You're subject to be left out. Can I get an amen? But we realize that what God says to you and me, supper's ready. I want you to come, not next week, not next Sunday, not next month, not next year, but I want you to come now. My friend, God gives you an invitation that is extended to you to come right now. But then I want you to notice the next thing. It's not only extended, but it's met with, somebody tell me, excuses. We're living in a world today to where everybody's got excuses. You say to people, why don't you come to church? Well, I got this to do and I got that to do. Well, why don't you come in? Well, I, I, you know, I'm going to try to make it next week, but I can't come this week. And I've learned in my life that you've got time to do what's important to you. But what we've done is we've let everything in this world create excuses for us. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 14, verse 18, they all would begin with one consent to make excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of ground and I must needs go see it. I pray you have me excused. Another one says, well, I bought five yoke of oxen and I got to go prove them. I pray you excuse me. Another one said, I'm married and I got a wife and therefore I can't come. Of all three of those, he may be the one that's got the legitimate excuse. <laughs> but I want you to think about this, how ridiculous it is. Who in the world would, in their right mind, would go buy property they ain't looked at? Who in the world, in their right mind, would invest in property they ain't never saw? That man said, well, you know what, I can't make it. I can't make it to the, the feast. I can't make it to the supper because, you know what, I bought some property and I got to go see it. Can I just tell you this? That's about the flimsiest thing I've ever heard in my life. That somebody would say, if they bought it and they hadn't looked at it, what's another day going to hurt? What's another week going to hurt? Why, the supper won't be there tomorrow, but the property will be there. What I'm saying to you is this. A lot of people are living in this world today and they go, man, I got to do this and I got to do that. Can I just tell you, my friend? A lot of the things that suck us away from God will be there tomorrow. And if it is not, it don't matter anyway. But see, what we do is we use all that as an excuse. I gotta go do this and I gotta do that. Man, I've gotta, I've gotta be over here and I've gotta be over there. Man, don't you know that, that, that I've got this investment I gotta take care of? The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Not second, not third, not fourth, but first. Then somebody in that excuse says, well, I bought some oxen. Now look at me, guys, I'm a country boy. He ain't gonna pull that wool over my eyes. He bought some oxen that he's gotta go prove. Well, who in the world would do that? Who in the world would go buy oxen that is supposed to work that he had never looked at, had never seen if they'll do the job? A lot of people are so busy with all this stuff that the flimsy excuses that they give God is just unheard of. Then somebody says, well, I just got me a wife, just got me a husband. You know, we're just starting out life together. We gotta get our, our, our ducks in a line. Can I tell you this? Listen to me, young people. There's a lot of young people meet in church. 
They meet on the pews of our churches. Brother Benny can tell you that. We've saw many, many couples meet in church after they get married. The things of this world seems to invade their life. Then they start saying, well, we got a, we got a house payment. We got car payments. We got all this stuff. We ain't got time to come to church. Can I tell you, my friend, that's what the world will do to you. And the world will give you every excuse in the world to stay away from God, stay away from church. Our world is filled up today with people outside the walls of our church that's got every excuse on planet Earth to give to God to excuse them from the blessings of God's presence. My friend, listen to me. All that is so flimsy. All of that don't hold a lot of weight in the presence of our God. Then the Bible tells us what God does about that. He expands the invitation. He expands it. And what he does is amazing to me. He does something that is incredible to me. In verse number 21, it says, So the servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, got being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the, the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. The Bible says, And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you have commanded, and yet there's still room. When I think about that, I realize that God, God is a God that knows how to extend the invitation. There's a lot of people that don't understand this, but the Bible tells us that this opportunity came to the Jews, God's people. The Bible says that Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. When his own didn't receive him the way he should, then God extended the invitation on to you and I. Ladies and gentlemen, can I be honest with you? I believe that we're living in a day today to where God is saying, you know what? I want you to go out and find those people that are broken. Find those people that are struggling. Find those people that are addicted. Find those people that have lost their hope. Find those people that, that don't know about church. Find those people that are at the end of their rope and tell them to come in so that my house can be filled. I believe the days of pretty Christianity is about over, y'all. I believe that God wants us to reach out to the hurting. I believe that God wants us to reach out to the addicted. I believe that God wants us to reach out to the broken. And I believe that when we do that, we're going to see God's house beginning to fill back up again. Can I get an amen? That's what he does. But wouldn't you hate to be the person that, that said, no, God, I ain't got time for you. And God will say to you, well, and there's coming another point that you need to write down, and it is this. One day, the invitation is going to end. One day the invitation is going to end. Can you imagine that moment when God says, I'm going to write the final amen. I'm going to write the final amen. It's over. Luke 14, 24 says, for though none of those men which were invited will be able to taste of my supper. How would you like to be that person that God has spoke to you, dealt with your heart, asked you to come to him, 
And you found every excuse in the world. And then all of a sudden, God says, I asked you to come. I invited you to come. You didn't come. You won't ever taste of my supper. The invitation at one time was open for you, sir. The invitation at one time was open for you, ma'am. You had every excuse on planet Earth. You came up with everything that's possible to avoid the invitation. And sir, I hate to tell you this, but the invitation is over for you. The amen has been written on your eternity. Watch this. I'll never bother you again. You won't ever have to worry about me bothering you again. You won't ever have to worry about getting another invitation from me. You won't ever have to worry about me calling your name. You won't ever have to worry about me making you uncomfortable in church. I won't bother you ever again. I invited you to come, but you wouldn't come. So I tell you what, sir. Tell you what, ma'am. Tell you what, teenager. Tell you what, senior adult. You won't ever have to worry about me sending you another invitation. I'll never call your name again. Now there's a bottom line to this thing. The invitation is extended to you. What will you do? We're living in a world today to where churches don't do that no more. We're living in a world today to where churches want to give you what you want to hear. Tickle years. Say, have a good week. We'll see you next Sunday. I want to tell you, my friend, here at Eden Westside, we always have an altar call. We always invite people to respond to the invitation. We're not ashamed of that. People say to me, Brother Jackie, don't you know that that moment makes people uncomfortable. People don't like to be uncomfortable no more. Brother Jackie, if you bring people to your church and you do a public invitation, you're going to make them uncomfortable. They won't come back. I don't know about you, but I remember being in church when God was dealing with my heart and I was uncomfortable. And did you know that every person God called in the Bible, he called them publicly. I think there's something about that. I believe there's something special about, at least it was for me. Because you know what? I believe that the moment you have to swallow your pride and you have to humble yourself, and yeah, you have to walk down from the church, that's not an easy thing to do. But if Jesus walked to, to Golgotha's hill for you, why wouldn't you walk down here for him? So today I wrote something for you. I wrote something for you. And I want you to 
Read it with me. A preacher named Brother Jackie Cannell, that would be me, passed on to me your invitation to be saved. Jesus, I accept your invitation. And you put your name right there and you put on that date, March the 4th, Old Brother Jackie told me about you. I, he told me about you inviting me to come into a relationship with you. And Jesus, I want to accept your invitation today. And you write your name. Sign my name. March the 4th, I did that, 2018. Or you're welcome to fill out the other one. Would you read it out loud with me, everybody? A preacher named Brother Jackie Cannell. Passed on to me your invitation to be saved. But I refused your invitation to be saved because. What would you put in the because blank? Well, God, it's not the right time. Lord, I don't think I'm good enough. I just don't think I'll ever measure up. Father, there's too many hypocrites in the church. There, there's too many people that, that don't live it. Can I tell you this? I want to be honest with you. Look at me. These hypocrites in the church. But would you let them keep you from God? By the way, there's hypocrites in every church. Not just this one. They're everywhere. You know, there's, uh, there's preachers that that have the wrong motive all over the country. But how many of y'all believe this? When you look at doctors, there's quacks too. Can I get an amen? Well, when you get sick, you don't say, oh no, I'm not going to go to the doctor because there's a quack. No, you find a doctor. You don't let some quack keep you from getting the health care you need. If you say, well, I'm not going to go to church, I'm not going to give my life to the Lord because it's hypocrites. You mean to tell me that you're going to let hypocrites keep you from Jesus? You say, well, Brother Jack, I met a preacher one time and yada, yada, yada. You mean to tell me you're going to let some bad preacher keep you from Jesus? Listen, my friend, look at me. There is no excuse acceptable. You either say yes to him or you say no to him. So today... I pray that you will say yes to him. I want us to bow all over this place today, and as we bow together, every head bowed and every eye closed, our ministers are going to come down front right now. If you here are here and you never said yes to Jesus, in just a moment, I'm going to invite men and women to stand all over this building. And I'm going to invite you to come to Christ. God calls you and gives you an invitation to come. Would you do that today? Would you say, Lord, today, I want to give you my heart. Lord, I know that without you, I can't live this Christian life. But God, today, I'm going to surrender myself to you. If you're here this morning and you'd like to do that, I want you to look up at me and raise your hand. Just say, Brother Jackie, I want to give my heart to Jesus today. God bless you, man. I see that. Anybody else? I see that. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you, man. I see that. Anybody else? 
In just a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to invite you to come. I want to invite you to come and tell these men, I want to give my heart to Jesus today. You may be here and you're looking for a church home. Today, when we stand, you come and you say, I want to be a part of Eden Westside. We'd love for you to come. Be a part of what God's doing here. Or maybe today you'd like to come to the altar and pray for a friend. We'd love for you to do that. So right now, if you'd like to just stand in your pew and come, you stand up and come right now. Just come on. Somebody will meet you down here and pray with you. God bless you, man. God bless you, man. God bless you, sir. Anybody else, you come. Just stand up. If you're in the middle of the aisle, say, excuse me, they'll move out of your way. They'll get out of your way if you'll come to Christ. If you need to come and pray, you come. Right now, come on. Don't let nobody hold you back. You come right now, right now. This is your moment to come. You come. Don't be ashamed. Don't you dare be ashamed. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, ma'am. Others that need to come, you come right now. Come. Come. Father, would you bring them? Come. People are coming. You come. Right now is your moment, guys. A moment with the Lord. While they're all coming, would you stand and sing with us as we sing this song?